Presenting news and analysis of critical issues affecting our communities, the nation, and the world. I'm Scott Harris. This week we present Yusuf Karachow, Media and Democracy Program Director with Common Cause, who talks about the effort of a coalition of groups to combat the spread of political disinformation ahead of the 2022 midterm election. Becky Crabtree of Peters Mountain, West Virginia who explains why she's opposed to construction of the Mountain Valley Pipeline in Virginia and West Virginia, and why she's chosen to engage in nonviolent civil disobedience. And Andrew Lawrence of Media Matters for America, who discusses his group's On Fox My Cable Box campaign that's pressuring cable companies to stop supporting Fox News' toxic rhetoric that provokes violence. But first we begin with a summary of some of the week's underreported news stories. While the world's attention is focused on the brutal war in Ukraine, hunger is spreading through Taliban-controlled Afghanistan, hit by Western sanctions. The Afghan economy is deteriorating under a U.S.-led freeze of the government's assets. This comes after 20 years of failed U.S. and NATO counterinsurgency and nation-building projects. A recent U.N. assessment predicted 20 million people are at risk of famine in the face of an ongoing drought and food supply disruptions due to a cutoff of wheat from the Ukraine. Save the Children reports 10 million children now face acute hunger. There are limitations on what aid agencies can do in a country whose de facto government is unrecognized by the international community and is furthering its extremist agenda toward women, mandating the head-to-toe traditional burqa and preventing girls from attending school after the sixth grade. Qatar's foreign minister warned that without the world's engagement with the Taliban, the nation's economic crisis will worsen, and this will drive the Afghanis to more radicalization and conflict. Closed mines in the Nevada territory of the western Shoshone people scar the landscape. Hundreds of abandoned gold, silver, and copper mines have torn up the tribe's ancestral lands. According to In These Times magazine, these hard rock mines that extract metals and minerals are a major source of toxic waste, utilizing cyanide, arsenic, mercury, and acids that can seep into aquifers and rivers. The General Mining Law of 1872 created this environmental disaster by allowing hard rock miners, individual or corporate, to pay minimal fees to stake a claim pay no royalties, and require little or no cleanup. Despite calls for reform of the mining law, two-thirds of the permits for new mines granted by the U.S. Bureau of Land Management have been issued since 2000. Demand for rare earth minerals, including lithium, is fueled by new technologies. In the face of the boom, environmentalist and indigenous groups are pushing alternatives, such as mineral recycling and demanding reforms to the antiquated 1872 mining law. Multiple federal and state agencies oversee narrow slices of projects, but no single agency has across-the-board oversight. In February, the Biden administration released a memo laying out new fundamental principles for domestic mining. 
Secretary of the Interior Deb Holland says she is now forming a working group to update mining policies to reflect our current realities. Fair lending advocates are calling for an overhaul of the Community Reinvestment Act, or the CRA, a 1977 law which requires banks to serve the credit needs of its low- and moderate-income customers. Community advocates and lenders who have leveraged the CRA to direct investment into affordable housing and local small businesses say the law is ineffective in protecting the interests of communities of color. The Center for Public Integrity reports that a new Biden administration proposal would require bank performance evaluations by the FDIC, the Federal Reserve, or the comptroller of the currency be tailored by the size of the bank. Availability and responsiveness of mobile and online banking, as well as lending to affordable housing projects, would be among the items regulators would assess in rating large banks. The Opportunity Finance Network believes the proposal could do more to improve racial equity. While current performance evaluations consider mortgage lending data only on the basis of income, the new initiative calls for large banks' evaluations to also consider how mortgage lending has been distributed by race and ethnicity. This week's news summary was compiled by Bob Nixon. For Between the Lines, I'm Anna Manzo. The critical 2022 midterm elections this November comes at a time when America's democratic electoral system is under attack by the Republican Party nationwide. Challenges to hold a free and fair election this year include 393 bills that have been considered in 39 states that restrict voter access, disproportionately impacting communities of color. Another 27 states have proposed some 148 election interference bills That opens the door to partisan disruption of accurately counting ballots and fairly certifying the winner. Multiple states have also engaged in partisan gerrymandering. Republican candidates, many endorsed by President Donald Trump, are running for governor and secretary of state on platforms that clearly indicate a willingness to subvert election results in future contests. What's more, recently released recordings of GOP operatives revealed their plan to install partisan poll workers and election officials in key battleground states to both disrupt and subvert election results. Your reporter spoke with Josef Garachau, Media and Democracy Program Director with Common Cause. Here he talks about how more than 120 civil rights and democracy groups have called on social media companies to take action to combat the spread of political disinformation ahead of the 2022 midterm election. Such disinformation can amplify conspiracy theories that stoke distrust in the electoral process and cast doubt on the integrity of candidates declared winners and losers. I think it's really disheartening uh, to see that there is still a significant percentage of our country and even higher percentage of Republicans that think the 2020 election was stolen. This was primarily proliferated through the spread of disinformation around that election, Uh, during the 2020 election cycle. 
You saw uh, former President Trump, many of his allies, continue to spread disinformation around uh, mail-in ballots, uh, around the spread of voter fraud, and essentially saying that uh, the election was stolen, which led to the insurrection uh, shortly the year after. Uh, and that really shows how disinformation can lead to specific violence and uh, offline harm. It's not just about spreading harmful content online. It's about the, the damage it can do offline, and uh, that can lead to physical um, harm or even death, as we saw at the insurrection. Uh, fast, fast forward to where we are now, uh, a lot of those disinformation talking points are getting proliferated again today. Uh, we have candidates who are using the 2020 election uh, and saying that was stolen as a reason to say that the 2022 election is, is going to be stolen. Uh, so they're preemptively coming out and saying that the election that we're having uh, in the next few months uh, isn't going to be accurate. Uh, and that's, again, further spreading this uh, false narrative of voter fraud, uh, election fraud, and, and stolen elections, which simply isn't true. We, we have to do more to combat these false narratives and um, beat them out at their root. Um, as you mentioned, the Republicans are really um, continuing to hammer down on this, or by Republicans, mainly Trump supporters. And so the, the reforms we put in place are really designed to try to inoculate as many people as possible from this kind of harmful content, while at the same time trying to uh, combat it from its roots. So a lot of the work that we are doing in this particular period, months before the midterm elections, and even during the primaries, is trying to get platforms to enforce and expand their policies around election disinformation. Uh, a lot of the lessons that we learned in the 2020 election and the 2018 elections are that platforms have been inconsistent in terms of how they're applying their policies and how they're enforcing their policies. Our own research at Common Cause showed that shortly after the 2020 election, uh, big platforms like Facebook and Twitter no longer enforced um, against the big lie. So in other words, they were no longer removing or flagging posts from individuals or, or groups saying that the 2020 election was stolen. But as we just talked about minutes ago, it's still being used to preemptively declare the 2022 election is gonna be stolen. So th these types of inconsistencies are, are issues that we're fighting now to make sure that uh, the 2022 election is uh, secure and allows as many um, voters to vote as possible without undermining their rights. Yosef, have any of these, uh, these big social media platforms responded to the demands of not only your group, but I've read that uh, there was some 120 civil rights, democracy, and public interest organizations that have sent letters to these social media companies asking them to clamp down on disinformation that could jeopardize our election. Yes. So uh, as you mentioned, uh, we at Common Cause uh, helped organize uh, a letter that was joined by over 120 democracy, civil rights, and public interest groups, which included a series of demands that we hope platforms uh, comply with. These demands uh, focus on issues I mentioned earlier, uh, including consistent enforcement of policies, uh, closing loopholes that bad actors exploit to spread disinformation in those policies, uh, more transparency so we know how some of these um, business models operate and how uh, dis disinformation spreads, or um, recommendations around uh, removing or mitigating algorithms that help amplify harmful content. Uh, in a lot of cases, um, it's the algorithms that are actually uh, generating more and more of this harmful content, leading folks and individuals down dangerous paths of 
uh, potentially taking offline harm and violence. Uh, so th to answer your question, uh, we sent that letter a few weeks ago. Uh, many of the platforms have responded saying that they're, they've confirmed receipt of the letter and they're reviewing it. We look forward to uh, meeting with them and further discussing the demands in our letter and actually holding them accountable to it. Uh, we're months away from midterms. Um, many places are already having primary elections. And so we don't have a lot of time to figure out uh, what recommendations they're going to comply with and which ones that they're not. The time to act is now, and uh, we can't afford to wait any longer for these reforms to be put into place. That was Yosef Gadachow, Media and Democracy Program Director with Common Cause. Learn more about their campaign to stop election disinformation by visiting our Between the Lines website at btlonline.org. The Mountain Valley Pipeline is being built across 303 miles of West Virginia and Virginia, with a possible extension into North Carolina. It would carry frack gas, most likely for export as liquefied natural gas, and provide no benefit for the people whose land, air, and water have been impacted by construction. The pipeline is about 55% complete, and the most difficult parts of the route, water crossings and mountain grades, have not yet been constructed. Some permits have been revoked due to violations, and others have not yet been secured, so work has stopped for now. People of the region who've been fighting the pipeline for eight years have attended hearings, submitted testimony, organized protests, and engaged in direct action, such as blocking the pipeline route with cars or tree sits. Thus far, 84 people have been arrested across the length of the pipeline. Becky Crabtree is a retired teacher and published author in her 60s who lives at the base of Peters Mountain on the West Virginia-Virginia border. When all the other actions she took to oppose the pipeline were ignored, she decided to lock down inside her old car, parked across the easement for the pipeline on her own property. She never agreed to sell her land to the company, so it was taken by eminent domain. Between the lines Melinda Tuhus who recently completed 12 days of walking and driving the pipeline route with local opponents on what they called the Walk for Appalachia's Future, visited Crabtree at her home on May 28th to hear her story. I signed petitions, I wrote letters, I went to public meetings. I'm not a speaker, but I spoke it passionately at public meetings, all to no avail. Um, went to a legislature and he laughed when we said, um, we got to stop this pipeline. And he, he laughed, you know. To no avail, we went to our, we have a state attorney general. His name is Morrissey. I don't know if you've ever heard of him, but he advised me that this was no, not a crime. I reported it as a crime, coming across the property without, um, without the common good being part of it. If our county or state had wanted to build a hospital on our land or a school, even a blasted highway, we would have given them the land. But the proposal was for a natural gas pipeline, as you know, that is probably not going to support any of us, that is going to be shipped to probably overseas at great profit to the corporation and at minimal money being exchanged to us. We were offered, we just paid about 100000 for 25 acres, and they offered us twelve. We did not accept it, so it was, it was condemned, and they took it. So that's my sad little story of landowner rights. 
How do your neighbors feel about this? Do they agree with you about the pipeline or do they support it? Part of the agreement is not to speak out against the pipeline. Part right. of the agreement when you get money. And I, I interpret contracts to my own liking. And I think maybe speaking out against the pipeline is different from speaking for the environment. I just don't know exactly how to, how to tell this story yet. <laughs> it, was, it was very exciting. It was um, akin to being in labor because you know something good's going to happen, but it's not particularly pleasant. So um, I was in the car, welded in, locked in. Why I did it was to block the pipeline from getting one more foot and, and to make a statement. Um, since then, our illustrious legislature has passed felony status legislation so that have if I were to do it on my own property and protest an infrastructure such as a pipeline, it would be felony charges. Mm -hmm. And I went and talked to the guy in the legislature last spring, and I said, this is America. This is how America was built. People protesting things that weren't right. And um, he kind of and walked off. Mm -hmm. So at any rate, that wasn't the law then. I knew that the people of Monroe County were not going to send me away for sitting in my car on my property, <laughs> property that I had fought to keep. I teach at James Monroe High School. I have kind of a sense of the mentality of my students, which is the mentality of their parents. Right. And um, I knew I wasn't going to be punished for sitting on my own land. I, however, I was arrested and I was charged. And it was, it was for saying when he said, Becky, you've got to get out of the car. And I said, no, sir, I can't, and that's obstruction. Yeah. So that was my crime. Because you um, were locked in? I was. I was. I was chained through the dashboard to the engine block, and the car was either welded or locked shut, and boy, it didn't take them long to get in. The Pinto is not made of superior steel, <laughs> and when they were trying to figure out how to unchain me and they wanted to get under the car, my husband was there and he evidently cared something for me because he was very concerned that they were gonna do something to tip that car over, the, the pipeline fellas. Mm -hmm. So he immediately said, you policemen are trespassing. This is private property, get off it. So that was a little bit of a row. And meantime, friends are playing music from the 70s. It was just <laughs> quite the gala event. But the bottom line was for half a day, I blocked the pipeline. It's not a big deal, it's not a big thing but it was big to me. But what an inspiration. Well, I don't know. We got some good publicity out of it. Yes. It was, that <laughs> was good. And it showed other landowners, you don't have to take it. I mean, we might not win. I, I don't even believe that we will lose now. But at that point, we might not win, but you gotta have some dignity in this world. You've got to stand up for something. How far advanced is it here? The digging up your land and putting all in the pipes in the ground on our land but there is nothing in the ground from our neighbor job and his wife have a farm and there's a little stone with his name on it and it has stopped at the edge of the road on his property so they did ours they did one more landowners and it has been stopped for two years they can't cross the national forest on peter's um. mountain but that is always subject to change it is so steep we call it grab a tree steep going up there because you can't walk up it. You can't walk up it. Nobody's ever built a pipeline this big on this steep of terrain. When we first began researching it, someone got a hold of a budget that laid out the money that would be needed for life insurance payoff to 18 workers. Whoa. Mm -hmm. 
But that just made my blood run cold, that yeah. they are planning for deaths because it mm. is so dangerous. That was Becky Crabtree of Peters Mountain, West Virginia. She's now running for the West Virginia House of Delegates. Learn more about the group's opposing construction of the Mountain Valley Pipeline by visiting our Between the Lines website at btlonline.org. Fox News has gained a well-deserved reputation for disseminating all manner of misinformation and disinformation on a wide variety of topics, but most of the lies the network spreads are squarely aimed at improving the political fortunes of the Republican Party and disparaging Democratic Party politicians. Often referred to as the propaganda arm of the Republican Party, the 26-year-old cable channel, owned by right-wing media mogul Rupert Murdoch, has a more recent history of being a supportive megaphone for Donald Trump and his supporters. Fox News was roundly condemned for spreading lies in support of the deadly January 6th insurrection, Trump's big lie about the 2020 election being stolen from him, promotion of dangerous and bogus cures for the coronavirus, and absurd conspiracy theories about COVID vaccines. More recently, Fox News host Tucker Carlson has promoted the white supremacist Great Replacement Theory in more than 400 episodes of his program, the same racist conspiracy theory that a mass murderer wrote about in his manifesto before killing 10 people and wounding three others in a predominantly black Buffalo, New York neighborhood supermarket. Your reporter spoke with Andrew Lawrence, a senior researcher at Media Matters for America, who discusses his group's On Fox by Cable Box campaign that's pressuring cable companies to stop supporting Fox News' toxic rhetoric that provokes violence. It is the top-rated cable news channel in America. And I think that, you know, a, a great example, um, a sad example of these types of conspiracy theories and dangerous rhetorics uh, is what we saw in Buffalo a couple of weeks ago, where you had a uh, white supremacist um, intentionally go, go to a black area of town and just fire on people indiscriminately um, because of uh, what is known as the great replacement theory. And what this is, it's a white, uh, white supremacist theory that it, it's been bubbling around in those sort of spheres for years. Um, and, and what they're saying is that Democrats are uh, bringing in immigrants. They're, they're intentionally trying to replace white people with uh, minorities. And it's, it's led to some awful acts of violence, um, like we saw in Buffalo, but, but not just there. You know, if, if um, your listeners remember back to the Tree of Life Synagogue in, in Pittsburgh, this was sort of the same thing. You know, this, this guy was motivated by uh, conspiracy theories that George Soros is funding migrant caravans uh, coming up from Mexico. And so this man went into a synagogue because George Soros is Jewish. Um, and shot up a bunch of people there. We saw it in El Paso at the at the Walmart um, at the border. Uh, this is again the same thing. The the Great Replacement theory that that immigrants are coming in, and somebody just went into a Walmart. They they sought out, they targeted uh, minorities in a border town, and shot them up. And we can go back even further here. There's uh, George Tiller, 
uh, who was a, a, an abortion doctor who was shot in the back of the head while sitting at church. And in the months leading up to his, his murder, Bill O'Reilly, who was uh, a Fox News host at the time, was had labeled him George Tiller, the baby killer, and was going after him day after day after day after day. And, you know, we saw two weeks ago in Buffalo this type of rhetoric. And the next night, Fox News and, and Tucker Carlson are on air defending what they had said about the replacement theory and continue to push it. So it's incredibly dangerous, uh, this type of stuff, this type of rhetoric. But, you know, from their standpoint, it is getting them ratings. People are watching this stuff. And, you know, there there's just doesn't seem to be any sort of self-reflection there that what they're doing is dangerous. And, and it is. It's, it's dangerous and it's scary. And it doesn't look like anything's changing there right now. Andrew, tell our audience about the objectives of the Unfox My Cable Box campaign that's been going on for a, a bit of time right now. Yeah, well, you know, we at Media Matters have led uh, advertiser boycotts of um, Fox News, um, and in particular, uh, Tucker Carlson. Um, and, you know, if you take a look at his his advertisers right now, it's nothing. He, he doesn't really have any major brands. He has, there's a lot of Fox News advertises itself a lot on the air there. And the thing about the way Fox News operates is that they don't need advertisers. So there's really no accountability. Now, the reason that they don't need advertisers is because of something called carriage fees. So let's say that you pay $100 a month for your cable bill. A portion of that goes to every single channel that you have access to on your box. You know, so every every let's say Comcast, for example, they're paying ESPN a fee so that they can show you their channel and, and you'll subscribe to them because you want ESPN. Same thing with MSNBC, CNN. Now, MSNBC and CNN, MSNBC gets about 30 cents of your bill. You know what you pay is about 30 cents to MSNBC. I believe CNN is around 70 cents. Uh, Fox News gets around two dollars. It's completely out of whack. And now what that means is that they can operate. They, they don't need a single advertiser, and they would still be in, incredibly profitable. And so what we're trying to do with Unfox My Cable Box is give people options. Get, get, get the cable companies to give people options that, uh, where you don't have to pay for that anymore, where you don't, wanna, you don't want your money going to a channel that is spouting white supremacist nonsense that is getting people killed. And so that, in essence, is... You know, what we're asking people to do is to contact their cable providers, tell them that that I don't want to pay for Fox News anymore. I would like the option to not do that. I think, um, you know, something else that we're sort of looking at is the uh, a la carte option. You know, that's just not offered by any cable companies right now where you get to pick and choose which channels you're paying for on a monthly basis. So all these types of things, it leads to zero accountability for Fox News because they're getting their money no matter what. You know, if you if you don't put Fox News on your TV a single time all year long, you are still giving them money every single month um, and funding this this type of hatred and violence and, and this awful rhetoric. And it's, you know, from my standpoint, I think most people would agree with me, that's not right. Um, and so that is essentially what Unfox My Cable Box is all about. That was Andrew Lawrence, a senior researcher at Media Matters for America. Learn more about his group's Unfox My Cable Box campaign targeting Fox News by visiting our Between the Lines website at btlonline.org.
You've been listening to Between the Lines, a weekly program presenting news and analysis of critical issues affecting our communities, the nation, and the world. Between the Lines is produced and distributed by Squeaky Wheel Productions. If you have suggestions for topics and guests, please contact Between the Lines through our website at btlonline.org, where you can hear our current and archived programs in streaming audio and support our show. There you can also subscribe to free weekly podcasts, program summaries, and interview transcripts. Follow us on Facebook at Between the Lines Radio News Magazine and on Twitter at BTL Radio News. Thanks for listening on WRFA in Jamestown, New York, WETS in Johnson City, Tennessee, KUGS in Bellingham, Washington, dozens of other community radio stations across the U.S. and abroad, and wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Our theme music was written by Richard Hill and performed by Mikata. This week's program was produced by Susan Bramhall, Mary Hunt, Anna Manzo, Bob Nixon, Melinda Tuhus, and Jeff Yates. For Between the Lines, I'm Scott Harris.